Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to another episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast from Inspirited Minds, where we discuss Islam, psychology, spirituality, and mental health. My name is Sarah Glamson, and I'm your podcast host for today. Before we go into this month's podcast, here's a little bit about our lovely guest today, Samia Quddus. She is a teacher and an author of Freya's Funny Feelings and the Taqdeer Life Journal. We discuss so many important topics such as her profession of teaching and now counseling and through her experience, what she found is the biggest struggle that young children have with their mental health and well-being today. We also talk about mindfulness and how we can be more mindful as sisters and mothers of childhood trauma and abuse. She also talks about the inspiration and ideas behind Freya's Funny Feelings and the Takdir Life Journal, a wonderful, wonderful initiative. You really need to get a copy for yourself. And we really hope that you enjoy it. Welcome to another episode of the Mindful Muslim Podcast, where today we are joined by the beautifully talented Samia Kudus. Assalamu alaikum, Samia. Welcome, salam rahmatullahi wa That was quite an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> How are you keeping? I'm, I'm good, alhamdulillah. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you yeah. keeping? I'm well, can't complain. So why don't you start by just introducing yourself and what you do? So um, I uh, initially trained as a primary school teacher and I've been teaching for almost 15 years. Um, I later specialised in social, emotional, mental health and that took me into special educational needs. So I worked as an SEN teacher in Doha, Qatar for around I think four and a half years about four years um how was that that really it was amazing I absolutely loved my experience there it's very different Mm -hmm. but I loved working with the mix of children from various different countries in one place so you have the local children you had Mm -hmm. the expat children and just it was a really lovely atmosphere um, I really enjoyed my work with the kids and I learned so much from them as well. Um, so yeah, I just developed my interest in special educational needs and I wanted to take this further and I always had an interest in child psychology. So I thought, you know what, now would be a really good time to develop my skills. And so I then did a, uh, a degree um, in counselling therapy with children and young people, which Alhamdulillah I completed last year. Mm. So yeah, congratulations! Now, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, really tough, but I got there in the end. <laughs> it can be yeah. quite tough, yeah. yeah. But I mean, from the work that you're doing, that's mainly what I wanted to talk about. Is that you've taken such an ordinary profession and kind of made it extraordinary? You've gone that extra mile. So, and we were talking a little bit about this before, but what actually drives you? What are your motivations? So, do you know, it's a really, 
I think my motivations come down to the fact that I enjoy my work. I enjoy being around kids. I enjoy learning. I enjoy growing. I think that's, that's definitely something within me that I enjoy developing and growth is a really important aspect. And I think that even Islamically, we are encouraged to grow. You know, we're not encouraged to stay boxed. Um, and I think that's a motivation that I have that actually I've got this skill, I've developed this technique. And so what can I do with it? Do I go and do something completely different or can I enhance it? So I guess my motivation comes down to how can I enhance this? How can I make it better? And it's something that I didn't really realize that I had within me until last couple of years, to be honest, that I'm always looking to grow in various different ways. And sometimes I've had a couple of knocks and, you know, even through that, I'm like, yeah, I actually grew through that. This is how I grew. So I think that's motivation. That's, that's a very, very powerful statement that you made just there. I think that a lot of people, especially right now, are finding it difficult to stay motivated, to stay on top of things, to continue growing. What do you think about that? Like what advice would you have for these, for these people who are kind of stuck right now? you know we all go through that and even I go through that phase you know very recently I went through that stuck phase where I was just like you know what I can't I can't be thinking about doing anything at the moment Mm -hmm. and it's really important to listen to that it's really important to give that a bit of space and acknowledge that and think okay this is how I'm feeling and what can I do about it where is it coming from what can I do and maybe I do need a couple of days or maybe a week or so maybe even just a few weeks just give myself time to not do anything at all but um, coming back into that routine again it it is quite important to then develop a routine you know it's not great being in that stuck state Mm -hmm. Um, you know giving yourself things to do maybe manageable tasks things that you can achieve, you know, that don't have to be big things, but just small things which then lead up to you then going back to how you were when you were managing to just carry on without that feeling of feeling stuck. Right. Um, that's been my technique. But yeah, we all experience that. It's ups and downs, basically. Definitely ups and downs, yeah. 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 We're not really meant to be completely on the same level all the time anyway. We do have those ups and downs, but it's recognizing that and working with it. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important bit. And it takes a while. Like you don't just get it on the first try or the second try. You just have to, I guess, try and see what works for you. And then slowly build up that kind of growth, as you said. Um, So you did mention that you work with children and young people um, and you worked in Doha and in, uh, you're working in the UK right now, right? So just, I'm just trying to understand, there, there must have been some kind of cultural difference or difference in the way that you approach the children. How exactly did you do that with, with the children in Doha and the children in the UK? So... The children in Doha, again, there was a mix of kids. So I had the expat children as well as the local children. It was an international school. It was a British international school. Um, They have a sister school here in the UK. Mm -hmm. So um, again, with the expat children, it was very easy to develop that relationship. 
because they kind of recognized you as somebody mm-hmm. from their place you know mm-hmm. but with the local children it was slightly different because they viewed you as slightly alien like you know i am visibly muslim as you can see you know i wear hijab and i used to wear hijab then and so you know a lot of the kids would be very intrigued they're like miss are you are you muslim i'm like yes can you not tell that i'm muslim <laughs> so you were something different to them mm-hmm. so again going back to your question it was me finding out about their culture so in order to develop that relationship it was very much important that I found out about what life was like for them in Doha and then trying to find things that I could relate to them through that um so that was the difference that I had yeah it must have been very interesting for you as as a counselor in your profession just seeing all the different things that the way that you can relate to the children and young people yeah i think one thing i've realized through my work even through teaching but more recently through being a therapist is that you have to display an element of humaneness you have to show you you know if you come in as you know sometimes you get teachers with certain personas and they're very strict and they're very teacher like and even with counselors and therapists you know they have a bit of a rigidity mm. young people won't relate to that children won't relate to that and so if you can show you that you are you but still maintain those boundaries still maintain that professionalism you can create really amazing relationships and really make a difference which is what i'm learning a lot through my work now i mean i went from primary and i now work in a secondary school which was a massive jump for me but again it's that it's again that relatability and being able to kind of yeah i'm kind of on your level but i'm not on your level but i get it mm, you know yeah. and um being unique being you you know and that's what they really kind of pick up on not yeah. being weird i think that's one that's something that one um <laughs> a young person described that miss you're not weird like you know I can mm. actually talk to you and I think that's really important because young people pick up on a lot more things um than adults than they are yeah. yeah they are very observant I found as well they are yeah so um in your experience with children then what do you feel is kind of the children and young people what what do you feel is the biggest struggle that they face or most of the young people who come to you what what have you noticed any trend in what they're experiencing what they're struggling with right now in terms of mental health i think the biggest struggle for them has been especially for those who are thinking about taking their gcse's and their a levels especially those who had planned to take their gcse's and a levels this year i mean today the gcse results came out and majority of people young people have done really really well but with the a level results what we've seen it's just what i'm experiencing is a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. frustration anger i mean you can imagine that you work so hard for something you do the coursework you do the revision even mental energy that goes into um studying and then all of a sudden you can't do it right and all of a sudden you know you can't show or demonstrate your true potential your academic potential and i know that a lot of young people you know they are a little bit lax 
when yeah. it comes to studying but when they come towards the last six months before their exams they really get going and they really just want to try and do their best and um there just seems to be a really sort of what's the point attitude which i completely get right. um but maybe things will change this is the first time they've experienced something like this as well as everyone to be honest mm-hmm. um the anxiety seems to be something that keeps coming up a sense of uncertainty what's going to happen um what's going to happen with my future um the school that i work at there's you know expectations as well like they they really do feel under pressure young people generally now mm-hmm. and this you know social media and having to portray and be perfect or be seen as being perfect and ticking all of those boxes yeah it's a lot of pressure and i think this kind of goes back to what you were saying about how everyone is unique you know mm-hmm. so if if they kind of focus on that that i'm going to i'm unique and i have all these pressures it can kind mm-hmm. of ease their mindset in a way yeah do you have you tried that in your work and seen like how how does that work when you're trying to tell someone but you're unique because a lot of people do hear that you know i hear mm-hmm. that sometimes too someone tells me well but you're unique so it's okay you know yeah. you, you do you you know what i mean yeah yeah it's this comparison culture mm-hmm. and you know adults do it you know and if we think about systemic thinking and we don't know what their family environments can be like as well if there's comparison taking place there i mean i know that i experienced it when i was growing up with so and so's done this and doing that and it's really hard then to think about you know you as an individual but yeah i the way that i try to manage that is just explain to them that you're doing your best as long as you feel that you're doing your best that is the most important thing and you know being good enough are you happy with being good enough or are you striving towards perfection because no one's perfect not even the most person perfect person that looks and appears to be perfect is not perfect so um you're only setting yourself up to fail because perfection doesn't really exist it's literally just a filter that's been applied but if you feel as though you are good enough then you can continue to strive to be better and do better nice um so yeah that's the sort that's of an amazing sentiment wow mashallah i mean the way that you put that is just that's exactly what it is you know um in that vein then do you have any kind of advice for families or even um teachers and education providers when it comes to dealing with young people then who are experiencing all these pressures at one go do you have any advice basically to kind of give them so that they can help these young people rather than increase the pressure on it i think we kind of go in with let's try and fix this mentality sometimes right we like to offer solutions and even sometimes in our work we will be offering solutions or offering techniques to help i think initially and again this is something that's important for parents and, and educators alike really listen to what they're saying give it space let them process it you know don't try and fix it initially just be there be present with them mm-hmm. and really try and empathize that yeah do you know what well, i can i can get why that's difficult for you i can see why it's so hard 
and allow them to express that and allow them to be vulnerable and then work on right how can we move from this or what can we do to make it better mm-hmm. I think that's something that we as adults we tend to forget because we go in wanting to let's try and make this better but actually young people need to be heard they yeah. like to be heard it's important for them to be listened to um so yeah that's something i would it's an easy thing to do we can all do it we can all be there we can be present we can listen and we can empathize so maybe yeah develop the skills of empathy and right so focus less on the problem solving and more on just being part of their support network just supporting them and listening to them yeah right and know and let them know that if they do experience something that they can come and speak to you about it without thinking right they're just going to offer me a solution are they actually going to listen to what i have to say mm. yeah that is an important point i found as well and i feel like especially when you have parents from an older generation yeah they they're very focused on giving solutions or telling you what you've done wrong rather than actually working with you and listening to you. Um, in general, I found a, a lot of people, even in my practice, coming to me with these particular complaints, you know, that my parents are not listening to me, my teachers are not supporting me, no one understands me, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I guess... No that, one understands me, yeah. It's quite a big statement, isn't it? That, that's it is. telling that, that's that is... That is it in a nutshell. No one understands me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very isolated place to be, very lonely. Yeah. And so if we can just try and focus on giving support, then as you said, that is I think the best thing. Because from that then it can kind of create a relationship of yeah. support of not mm-hmm. just one sided support, but mutual support as well and yeah. understanding yeah. and mm-hmm. trust as well, I feel, which is a very important elements such an important element yeah yeah yeah. with young people especially they need especially (laughs) (laughs) and i feel that trust breaks really easily for young people have you found that in your experience as well do you know in our work we know about rupture and repair we know that you know you'll have great moments and something will happen in that relationship and that's the rupture Mm. and i think that if you can try, I mean, that's the normal part of every relationship, isn't it? That you have rupture and repair. Yeah. And in terms of trust, yeah, sometimes you have to break confidentiality. Sometimes you have to break trust, especially if there's a concern that comes up and um, mm-hmm. you have to then speak to maybe the head teacher or whoever's safeguarding officer. Um, but I think if you can be honest with the young people and say that, look, you know, this has happened and you may not feel as though you can trust me, but I just want you to know that I am here because I want to see the best for you. So again, you come from an angle where actually I'm here for you and this is why I've had to do this, but you can still trust me. But I I understand why you may not feel as though you can. So So I feel like that's a level of transparency then and openness that you have Mm -hmm. with them. Instead of thinking, um, I, I think a lot of people, including um, families or support networks for a young person would think, I know better, so listen to me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and just do what I'm telling you to do and trust me. But then yeah. they fail to realize that they can't just take your word for it. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be a level of openness, a level of where you 
you're you're on the same level of understanding basically mm-hmm. i think we can talk about this topic for a long yeah, time okay <laughs> <laughs> so i'm going to kind of segue then to one of the main struggles that i think we face as a not just as a muslim community but as a society a global society is child abuse and child trauma so can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about that uh, in your experience and your knowledge about child abuse and why it's something that just keeps recurring over and over again yeah i mean abuse can be emotional physical it can be sexual it can even be neglect you know i mean it's not just limited to those things that i've mentioned it can be so many different things and it's basically where the child is not in a safe place or where the child is not around people who have demonstrated that they are capable of looking after the child with safety and with um, adequate concern. And so in terms of trauma, again, there are different types of trauma. Sometimes we, I mean, I know that I used to, before my, my therapy course, before I used to associate trauma with like quite big events, like maybe a death or maybe, you know, um, a murder or just you know major major events but actually trauma can be triggered from day-to-day life things to be honest um from the readings that i've that i've done it can be you know simple things like maybe moving from one school to another school moving from one country to another country maybe moving homes maybe losing a pet or just things that happen in life which Mm -hmm. adults may not necessarily think as being traumatic but these can elicit or sit or trigger trauma responses Mm. but it can vary it it is so many different things yeah so many different things i think now because of black lives matter we've been more talk around intergenerational trauma we know that even in our culture for example south asian culture um the partition you know the intergenerational trauma that took place with that so the trauma traveling down generations Mm -hmm. and how that's impacted relationships how that's impacted mindsets so yeah there's so many different avenues of trauma it's just really really vast yeah So, so what do you think then we can do on a personal level but also on an advocacy level like if you're aware that this is happening depends it's such a big topic so which which area in particular are you um i guess i'm more talking about right now we have so many children who are at home i mean i know schools again um Mm. but but things have not really gone back to normal you know Mm. and the cases of childhood abuse and childhood trauma are on the rise constantly even if you look at the statistics so in, in that vein, then, what kind of advice would you have just for anyone if they notice something or if, if they're even just taking out their frustration on a child or on a young person? You know, what, what can we do? Yeah, so if you have witnessed a child or you, you definitely know that a child is in danger, mm-hmm. your responsibility, the action that you would take would be to contact social services or to contact the police. Um, yeah, that would be the most important thing to do. Normally, children who are in those environments, the school system is aware. Mm-hmm. So 
I know that many schools, because of lockdown and because many children who have managed to go into school, vulnerable kids, as we call them, I know that the deputy head teacher or safeguarding leads at schools have been in contact with families just to check up on how things are going with the children or with the child. They are never just left alone. So again, it's that school home link that's very important. But if you come across a case or a situation where you've witnessed a child being in an immediate danger or has been abused physically, you know, you witness a child being hit quite aggressively. I mean, you would have that responsibility of you then to contact an authority is very, very important. Right. But then as, as you're saying it, I'm kind of thinking that if, if that would happen in front of me, I would probably mm. think a hundred times, you know, I'd have that hesitancy to actually mm. take action because that's not my child. I don't know that lady really well, you know, mm. or it's someone, or it's the opposite. It's someone you know really well and you're like, how can I do that to my family then? Mm. So I guess it's kind of a catch-22 situation. But as you said... It is. Yeah, it, it is. But the safety and the welfare of a child who is being abused is the most important thing. And yeah. for them to be in that environment is doing more harm than good. You know, that maybe actually parents or those adults require support. You know, that they are not generally bad. No one is all good or all bad, Right that maybe generally they just require support and they need authorities to come in and help manage the situation at home because maybe they're just unable to cope. Mm. So it comes so you'd actually that. be doing them a favour? In a way, you'd be helping them too. I mean, don't know, but, you know, that would be, you could possibly be helping them too. Maybe they just haven't managed to get the help that they need. Maybe mm. they don't want to receive the help. But, yeah, at the same time, placing a young child's life in danger it definitely yeah. be important to get someone involved yeah okay it's um, hard yes yeah, it's, it's hard yeah and mm. i guess it's because it's like you said it's a very broad topic and very multi-dimensional it's mm. kind of difficult to make a judgment call in that particular moment um mm. but as you said if you if we do see it happening then we need to stand up and even if it's just in a polite way, you know, or in, even in an, in, as you said, in an anonymous way, just call social services or the police mm -hmm. or someone um, that can actually create a difference and stop this issue or yeah, from spreading, I guess. Yeah. Because getting worse. Yeah. yeah. And then and we can be then closer to eradicating child abuse, inshallah, yeah. hopefully. Mm. Um, I did want to also talk about your book, Freya's Funny Feelings. So for those of you who don't know, Samia is well known for her beautiful book. I actually have a copy of it, Freya's Funny Feelings. Do I do. I bought one for okay. my, I, I don't know if you remember, I bought one for my niece, I think, from you. Oh, and, okay. yeah, and I loved it. Wish I had got more copies, actually. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll be putting in an order for a few more copies. It's a really beautiful okay. book. Where did you get the idea for it? So, you know, when I was teaching 
very early years of when I started out teaching, I'd have so many kids when it came to certain subjects like maths or English. Mm -hmm. Miss, I don't feel too well. Or Miss, my tummy feels a bit funny or I need to go to the toilet. And, you know, I wasn't a very sympathetic teacher. I'd be like, no, it's time to get started now. We've got to get going now, right. um, you know. But as the years went on, I then remembered, gosh, I used to be like that kid. I used to be like that in year six when mm. it came to maths. And all of a sudden, I used to develop this anxiety when it came to this particular subject because it stressed me out. And so this is what was happening with those children. When I went to Doha, and again, I noticed similar things going on. You know, we have uh, um, the expression butterflies in the tummy. And, you know, I say, oh, you've got butterflies in your tummy. And they were like, what? I've actually got butterflies in my tummy. Like, no, you don't actually have butterflies in your tummy. But that's the sensation. Does it feel like it's fluttering? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they kind of placed the seed in my head that this is something worth exploring. You can actually create a book around this that not only uses the analogy, but also the analogy of um, the butterflies and, you know, the metaphor, the development that takes place when, you know, she experiences, the, the character experiences these butterfly feelings and how she learns to manage and understand these emotions and how she then becomes this, yeah, I don't, I, I get it now, but I can deal with it, you know, I can, mm. I can accept it now. Um, so the expression, butterflies in the tummy, it just all kind of came came together I was like I need to find a way to design anxiety with this and with that and yeah I, something I did in 2017 yeah December 2017 I got writing on my script and yeah. I'm gonna do this yeah and how was the process of to kind of get to publishing it because I know for any publication there's like a hundred different doubts you get at the back of your mind Really, it was really tough actually it was really hard because I've never written a children's life for my first time and I wanted to make sure that I was doing it and that's this and that the children would understand luckily because I have worked in the, um, the classroom I know about you know language flexes that can really attract children's attention as well like using illiterates and using um, kind of like funny kind of words as well. so I had that knowledge already what I had to do was create the manuscript and send it off to a professional author and get her to kind of go over it and just give me feedback. And that in itself took a good couple of months as well. And then it was, right, what do I do with this? Do I go down the self-publishing route or do I try and publish it with um, you know, a, a publisher? In the end, I decided to self-publish it because I thought actually... I'm still going to have to do a lot of the work, even if it does go via a publisher. <clears throat> so yeah, I it can be very difficult, but alhamdulillah, it was it wasn't too bad. I had a friend who was an amazing artist. She did illustrations for me, um, and then with the printing, I went through a crowdfunding campaign. Alhamdulillah, I managed to get the printing cost through that, and it worked out. It really yeah. did. I do strongly recommend everyone go and get a copy of Freya's Funny Feelings. Um, it is available now, I guess. I'm not sure where yeah. the It's available on the website. 
Okay, yeah. or it's also available on Amazon if you're in the UK as well. Yeah, well, Alhamdulillah, it's done quite well. It's in about 25 primary schools. Wow. So it's being used since January, actually, of this year. And the intention is hopefully to increase that because I think we need it now. <laughs> yeah. A lot more than we needed it before. Definitely, so. definitely. But you just you haven't just done a book for uh, your children and young people. You've also done a journal, a reflective journal. Do you want to yeah. talk a little bit about Takdir? Takdir, I started creating in April 2017. Wow. It was something that I couldn't find at the time. I couldn't find an Islamic themed gratitude journal that just focused on gratitude loads of wonderful products out there for the muslim market you know on various topics but they all seem to have a mix of everything mm. and i was like you know what gratitude and expressing shukur is such a, a big thing in our religion right it's described as a form of worship and why isn't there anything that actually just focuses on this alone so what i then did because i started developing it in april 2017 my therapy course began in september 2017 and then i started to research a lot of psychology in relation and then psychotherapy as well right. all in relation to gratitude and, and just making links and bringing yeah merging those links together that's very interesting um i have a copy of the journal and it is very beautiful besides you i'm telling you yeah i'm a big fan i don't think you understand <laughs> um <clears throat> no genuinely it is it's the way that it guides you and the format of it and just there's tiny little details that you have throughout the book that really get you to think and connect these dots, as you've said. Really, it is a beautiful, um, beautiful idea. And I do hope that a lot of people can find um, solace in it and healing. Because for me personally, it has really helped me, especially right now, to kind of be more grateful, to reflect mm. a little bit more, but then also appreciate that you know, my religion actually has thought of this. It's just that I wasn't aware about it or I didn't, yeah. I hadn't linked it as well. So, yeah. You know, a big part of our religion is self-awareness. And I didn't know that until I started doing my course because I was then starting to research and trying to merge in faith-based principles into my work and more about my practice as well. And I, you know, I didn't know that self-awareness was such a huge thing, like knowing more about you, your responses, your triggers, and all of these things which are important to your growth. I had no idea at all. And mm. so <clears throat> gratitude and incorporating that within Dagdir was very, very important. And that's something that I feel as I've managed to do. It is different. I mean, there's at the time when I created it, I think now there are a couple of people out there who have, you know, taken on a couple of themes, a bit similar to it, which is, you know, they're doing their thing, I'm doing my thing. But I am feeling, for example, there's an I am feeling section on every single journey, journal entry page. And that's, again, related to what we know in psychotherapy, that actually thinking about those emotions, processing those emotions, putting it down on paper and the importance of putting it down on paper 
Mm. And there's an explanation in the journal as to why that's important yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of is really put, taking these concepts and planting it in your head in a way that you're understanding where they come from, but then you're also kind of relating your experiences and your feelings to it at the same time. It's a very personal journey. Alhamdulillah. Yes. I really do believe that everyone can benefit from it. Um, <clears throat> so then just moving on then to uh, how, how all of these things link up then to mental well-being because a lot of people say, well, okay, being grateful, fine. But if I have a mental health problem, what can it really do for me? Right. Mm -hmm. And if I'm struggling or if I have all this pressure on me, then what what can gratitude do, you know, or what can reflection do? So then how how in your opinion, what how do you think it links up to mental health or mental well-being? You know, when people are going through a really tough time, it is really, really tough. And it can be incredibly difficult to find those moments of gratitude i know that i've experienced that and in fact that's what triggered me to then create the fear because mm. i was going through a really difficult time and it was so hard you know it's about shifting that mindset mm. it, i was for example from i can only speak from my experience at the moment but um it was such a difficult time for me and everything just felt so negative you know but then the moment I started to think about, right, I need to find something that I'm grateful for today, whatever it is, even if it's the most smallest of things, the sun is shining, or I've had this to drink, or I ate this, or I went for a walk, it gives me something to feel like there is some kind of purpose, or I feel good about this. And then eventually, eventually, your mind shifts, your mind shifts because you're looking out for things which will bring you a sense of gratitude that you it's like a gratitude mindset you're developing that it takes time it doesn't happen overnight that's very that's very true i completely agree with that because whenever we're going through a hard time it's hard to to think about the goodness to think about the things we can be positive about um and that's where things like journaling and reflections and gratitude can come in um are there any other ways that you would strongly recommend to help when you're going through a difficult time i think the most important thing is to have someone that you can talk to as well you know you need to have a support base around you we are humans we are people we the way that we've been created we are made for connection and lockdown and you know this whole covid has kind of made people a bit isolated in some respect as well mm. but it's so important to reach out and it's so important to have someone that you can connect with and that you can talk to validate those emotions give it space but don't stay with it don't stay stuck with it think about right what am i what can I look forward to with my future? What can I do, mm. you know? And have people that you can talk to, you know, sound people that are happy to listen to you. That's the most important thing. Um, a lot of people that, when you were speaking, you just reminded me, a lot of people would take that as an excuse and say, okay, I have all of these coping mechanisms um and i do pray and i do dua so i'm i'm good 
You know, I don't need to go to a therapist. I don't need to seek counseling or some kind of professional support because I'm okay. I'm dealing with it on my own. But what would you say? Um, what would you say to someone then who kind of comes to you saying this that I, I don't I don't need counseling. I'm okay. Do you know, I've actually heard really this is ages ago, right? When I was growing up, I heard um, people from who are very practicing state things like, well, if you have faith, you don't need counseling mm. because you should feel strong through God's, you know, every the scriptures and everything that you have, that you should feel, you know, strength from your religion. But actually, you know, we have figures in those, you know, prophetic times who were going through really tough times. The prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he went through so much hardship and we see stories of him experiencing emotions, really raw emotions when he lost his kids, when he lost his uncle, when he was being persecuted. And he had people around him to talk to. He didn't just go to Allah. He didn't just go and, and seek solace in, in God. He also had a, a base where he could talk to people about it. He had Khadija, his wife initially and then that grew you know so that in itself demonstrates the importance of having a connection with people that you can talk to but mm. in regards to counseling if you know going back to your question that if i have faith i don't need allah didn't make us to be like that he didn't give us an immunity that right you have faith and that's it you're not going to experience difficult events or if you do experience difficult events um you don't need outside support in fact our religion very much recommends that actually if you need support in terms of like therapy then you need to seek that that's okay to seek but yeah. i think it's the stigma that's associated with psychological support that's a difficulty and, and have you found that. that children are more or young people are more open-minded about seeking counseling or psychological help than older people would be it, it it depends you know sometimes i think at school there's a peer issue in terms of what are my friends going to think of me okay. yeah that can come up that you know i don't want them to know that i come and see you i don't want them to know about this mm -hmm. so that comes up with them again it's this whole idea of being different right we want to fit into that mold of we're perfect and we're okay and everything's all good and lovely um but with adults yeah it, it really differs you know it really does there are some adults who are really open to it and realize that actually i'm i need a little bit more support here mm -hmm. so i'm going to do this whereas some are just completely against it right. yeah. so it's not just black and white there's like a whole range it's of not as black and white no i mean even from your experience you, you've probably seen similar as well isn't it that regardless of the age it can vary it really does um yeah um so then just kind of in this similar vein what advice would you give to a young person who is struggling right now in this climate i mean we're in summer holidays i think towards the end tail end of summer holidays but there's still yeah. so much going on there's so much uncertainty so what, what would you like to tell them all right now it's tough 
it's okay it's really really tough and it is tough and there is uncertainty and it's rubbish and it's crap and it's horrible but it will get better you know there is you know we hear that expression light at the end of the tunnel there is that there going on and you need to seek support you need to have people around you that you can talk to very very important that you have people that you can your friends or family members that you can just speak to yeah just have a zoom session <laughs> yeah just have a zoom session just do that just offload yeah, yeah just get it off your chest and, and talk to someone about it you know don't go into doing anything destructive you know self-destructive as a coping mechanism mm. think about things going to be helpful for you maybe going out for a walk getting some fresh air getting some sun having a routine routine is so important mm. especially in times of uncertainty it creates a sense of safety um, you know, do things which are good for you and think about your future, you know, just keep thinking about where you want to be in your future. Right. Future thinking. I've heard about that. That's like a, a, a really new concept, I feel. Um, I was reading about it the other day, future journaling. So you really have not heard of uh, okay have you know where you want to be yeah oh, no, so, think, so think about where you want to be and then like write it down or write a letter to yourself for the future it's um, really interesting yeah. i mean i had my doubts because we're all about mindfulness being present in the moment you know don't focus on all the things that can go wrong in the future but then yeah. i tried writing like a letter to myself and I, I haven't even reached the stage where I can open it again because it's a letter to me in the future. But just writing it down for me was so beneficial because yeah. I realized that, well, actually, most of the things I'm worried about haven't even happened yet and probably will never happen. Yes. So yes. I, I used to be like that, Sarah. Yeah. I was always a worrier about hypothetical situations. It just completely zapped the joy from the present moment you know that's what it that's all it does but yes future thinking in the sense of goals aspirations hopes mm. you know dreams or positive things as opposed to what's going to go wrong it's easy to go down that route it's so, it's easy, so easy to go down that route i mm. feel like it's a temptation your mind is just tuned or focused to go down that road and think about all the mm. wrong things that would happen rather than yeah. for actively trying to think about the positives yeah that's actually what i found in my experience is it's a knee-jerk reaction because mm. from a young age we're always um i wouldn't say encouraged but taught rather to look at what's wrong and then make it right true. but then all the things yes. that are right so are not really focused on yeah. have you found that as because well you don't need to be focused on right yeah totally totally yeah. makes sense so yeah. then you kind of reach a mindset where you're only thinking about the mistakes or what mm. went wrong. And mm. because of that habit, you haven't really developed a habit of thinking, well, these things have gone right or these things are positive yes. that I can yes. be grateful for and yeah. then keep them kind of with me. So, so then it's more balanced. Mm. So that's like what yeah. I found. It's, it's really, really hard to do that. So most of my letter to yes. myself was just filled with those negative things then and then i realized okay <laughs> i'm gonna try and balance it i'm gonna think about the positives mm -hmm. as you said of things that can go right my goals and aspirations and then mm -hmm. kind of balance it in that way 
but it's hard to do. It is hard to do, but you know, if you start thinking positively, mm -hmm. that will impact your behaviors and that may potentially impact the future as well. You know, I've forgotten that term, but you know, it's almost as though you are determining the future by being so negative at the moment. Mm, yes, yes. Yeah, it's almost as though you're, you're, it's going to end up failing anyway. So I might as well just be like this. But actually, no, you know, if you employ a different kind of mindset, I think it's, I can't, I can't remember the name, prophetic something, I'm not quite sure. Prophetic fallacy? Is that what you're talking about? The prophetic fallacy? I'm no, not I, sure. Maybe self-fulfilling prophecy? That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the <laughs> yes, one. Yeah. yeah. It, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You, you just do that. You just... Yeah. Your behaviors can shape so much. That's the truth. Your actions and your mindset shape so much. Yeah. And for, for our viewers, self-fulfilling prophecy is just basically when you set yourself up for what you're thinking about your worst fears and you say that if this is going to happen and you're so focused mm -hmm. on this thing happening this thing going wrong then chances are it probably will turn out that way yeah but then <laughs> yeah but then as we're saying focus on the positive on all the things mm -hmm. that can go right and put put your mm -hmm. best foot forward basically yeah. and then it'll be like using the self-fulfilling prophecy in a positive way mm -hmm. Yeah, and having the awareness and knowledge that things aren't going to be smooth, there'll be ups and downs, and it that is part of life. That is part of your journey. Mm -hmm. It's not all meant to be smooth riding and perfect. And yeah, but you see, um, a lot of people I find myself included would tell if you're telling me this, I would tell you, well, that's easier said than done. You're not the one going through it. it I am. It is easier said than done. <laughs> it is. It's so easier said than done. It is. But then what are you supposed to do? Mm. Are you going to carry on staying in that rut and staying in that? That's, that's to me, is a feeling of stuckness because you're basically what you're saying to yourself is I can't do anything about this. So I'm not going to do anything. Mm. Or are you going to be like, well, I'm going to hope for the best. I want to try and like you said, put my best foot forward and I'm going to work towards that. And at the end of the day, success comes from Allah, right? So even if things don't pan out the way that I wanted it to pan out, at least I know that I tried, which is better than not doing anything at all and just staying with that. Yeah. Um, just quickly, I also wanted to talk about young people. They, you did mention a little bit of peer pressure, and that can determine a lot of the decisions that young people make in school and at mm. home as well, like in, in all spheres of their life. Um, so can you talk a little bit about then peer pressure and then what advice would you give someone who's so tempted to just try and fit in with their peers, but it's going to be at the expense of who they are or their health or their well-being? You know, when you grow up, when you're like my age, <clears throat> you'll realize how important it is to be unique will realize how important it is to be an individual and to have that sense of solidness that I am proud to be who I am. But when you're young, it again, the pressures to fit in, it's so immense. You know, when I was growing up, it'd be about trainers, it'd be about magazines, it'd be about, you know, I would 
what I consider to be really small stuff. But mm. as the years go on, you know, as generations change, there's so much more now in terms of comparisons. Mm. It's the latest, I mean, quite expensive things like mobile phones or yeah. you went on which holidays or where did you go on for a break? So there's much more comparison. Mm-hmm. When you realize that you are unique and that you are an individual, that will help to develop your own self-esteem. That will help to develop your own sense of self-worth. That will help to develop your own confidence. You won't necessarily care about what others are doing because you're so solid in yourself. And those traits are so important to have. So, so important to have. So just focusing on that then, on how how different yeah. you can be. And I think also what you've said is so important because we don't realize that we were created different for a reason, like God created everyone different for a reason, you know, and so kind of giving into that and accepting it, but then also working on the bits that you can work on, like your weaknesses or what you're not good at, then that kind of mindset can immediately help you in terms of making good decisions for yourself, looking after yourself, but then also being there for other people your friends, your parents, your teachers, even anyone, you know, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say that having a sense of self-worth is so important for young girls in particular, Mm -hmm. because they will experience so much more in there. I mean, you know, if you have, if you're coming from a South Asian family, generally speaking, the expectations that there are on on girls, But if you have a solid sense of self-worth, honestly, you will, you will be amazing in life. Like you will not succumb to peer pressure because you're so secure in yourself. And that's the, that's the aim to be secure in who you mm-hmm. are as a person. Yeah. But then as you've said that growing up as a South Asian woman is hard. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not from the South Asian community, but even from my community, I think just growing up as a woman in general in a Muslim community is hard. Yeah, it's hard. And there's, there's so much associated in just that, you know? So what, what kind, from a counseling, from a therapeutic standpoint, what advice would you then give to parents who get a little baby girl and who's, you know, who have, who have a daughter in terms of growing them up or raising them? I know it's a big it's question. A big question. <laughs> it's such a big question. Where do I, I start? You know what I would say to a parent? Mm-hmm. I would say to a parent of a daughter is that be sure that your daughter knows where her position is in Islam. Okay. Her position as a woman in Islam she will not need to go searching for that elsewhere she will not need empowerment elsewhere if she knows what her position is in her religion that will be enough for her wow that will give you your self-worth that will give you yourself is everything because you know that how god views you as a woman how he created you 
as a woman and how you are to be treated as a female, whether you are a, a daughter, a sister, a wife, you know, those three areas in our life, okay, which are, which are important, right? Mm. That is enough. Yeah. That's what mm. I would say to... So um, an equally big answer for an equally big question. That's, that is very amazing. I'm just thinking about that. And yeah, I think a lot of problems can be solved if as as a young girl when you you know you're going through adolescence and you have mm. these identity issues coming up if you just understand or if i just understood that this is my role i think i really could have saved myself from a lot of grief earlier on in my life <laughs> and, and i feel that it does come a bit too late for a lot of girls, even from talking to yes. friends or even talking to other people, it comes a bit late. And then when it does come late, you're probably already married, okay? Mm -hmm. Or in such a different sphere of your life, dealing with some wrong decisions that you may have made, or you're just lost mm -hmm. and you have no idea what you're doing because, because yeah. you didn't realize your role as a girl or your your rights even as a girl in islam that's yeah your position where you stand your rights your roles you know those are so important mm -hmm. and i think that again i'll go back to south asian community that becomes enmeshed with patriarchal values and girls not quite sure of where they stand and yeah it, it's quite a difficult one but if i were to have a daughter that's what i would try and do just to mm. make her feel proud in herself that you have everything you need as a female you don't need to go looking elsewhere because this is what your religion gives you this is it be proud you know um, right. be, feel strong yeah so just to clarify then what exactly would you tell your daughter in terms of her position in Islam because I think everyone has a different idea of what is the position of girls in Islam so just on a personal level what would you yeah. tell her you are valued you are respected you are to be honored you are to be loved you are to be cherished you are to to experience goodness and kindness and you are to be treated fairly and equally right I think you know. And it's so simple. It's so simple to do. Yeah. I can't think of anything more than that at the moment, but really, yeah. You can go out, you can get an education, you can like, and you know, whatever happens in, in marital life, the adjustments and, and diff, you know, the compromises that may need to be made, that, that's a different thing. But you are allowed to go out and seek an education. You, you are allowed to be something. Yeah. Religion Definitely. doesn't restrict that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's really powerful. I think that's, I, I don't even think you need anything more. If you're, if you're raising up a daughter and you make sure that these kind of values are part and parcel of her life, then she's less likely to, you know, get, face that kind of identity issue, you know, face mm. the struggles that a lot of us do face as we're growing mm. up. Um, you've also raised a good point about culture in terms of culture versus religion. There are sometimes there are sometimes when culture adds to the religious practices and it's yeah. healthy and good and great, no problem. Mm -hmm. But there are also sometimes yeah. when the culture does not really line up with religion. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, have you had any experience of that in in your professional setting or even just in your personal life? Yeah, I think in my personal life, even professional work as well, you, you know, there is that. You can't, the difficulty is, Sarah, is that you can't dissect one from the other. We are, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, we carry multiple identities. We mm-hmm. are Muslim, we are South Asian, you know, your origin. And then mm-hmm. if you are living uh, maybe in the UK or if you're born and brought up in the UK, you're also carrying that identity as well. Mm-hmm. You can't compen- you can't compartmentalize yeah it is it is all sort of together right and it's trying to find a balance and it's trying to find a system where all of those things work in harmony and where you're not going to be taken advantage of where you are going to be again respected and honored and those things are really important it's it's a difficult one because i you know, I've done so much reading on it. It's not easy to adjust to these different identities, mm. but these are our identities yeah. and, and working with that. And like you said, sometimes the culture, it brings in value. It, it's, it's wonderful. You know, there are aspects of my culture, which I really, really love the South Asian culture. And there are aspects where I absolutely just like, I can't see this. I can't. Yeah. No, it's not working. So yeah. yeah. But then, as you mentioned, I think earlier on in the video, you mentioned about this culture of comparison. And so mm-hmm. if, if you see someone else doing it, and then you're tempted to do it, but actually, it's, it's not really healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. So there are quite, yeah, quite a bit of um, a lot of different cultural aspects that are not good. Mm-hmm. And when I say mm-hmm. comparison as a culture aspect, I mean that it, it is very much, I think, not just a South Asian, but just generally a Muslim, even in the Arab culture, I know it's there, even in um, Indian culture, it's there, even in Pakistani culture, it's there, that, that comparison thing, it's such a big issue. It happens all the time. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think, as, as you were saying before, it is the start of a lot of different problems for young mm. people you kind of lose who you are and the most important thing is to stay true to who you are and to be firm in that you know yeah. um, but it's a tough one very easy to say these things i know yeah yeah but when it comes to practicing it but i think there are a few things that we can do for um kind of battling this comparison culture when people are comparing um in that don't be disrespectful but then just say well they want to do that but i i want to do this as a young person this is what i would like to do maybe i'm not good at that i've tried it before you know or maybe i'm not particularly Mm. inclined to do that Mm. or or i have my own way of going about things and it works for me you know so I guess communication then, kind of just that open communication thing. Yes. I hear what you're telling me as a teacher or as a parent, yeah. but I have a different idea and I'd rather try it my way. And if it doesn't work, then I'll come back to your way, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll consider what you're saying, basically. Yeah. I basically. think it's really, I think you've touched on a really important point, Sarah, as well that 
can't when you're growing up and you hear different advices that are given from parents for example or even teachers don't brush it off completely you know be open to it just as you want them to be open to to wanting to hear what you have to say or your take on something or your approach also be open to what they're saying too because you don't know maybe it may work for you maybe at the time now I can't consider that but you don't know right yeah um be open yeah and you never know it might just work for you in the future it's part of growth if it doesn't work then at least you know it didn't work Mm. yeah um so i just wanted to kind of then wrap it up really well so if there is anything that then you would like to do um is there any kind of advice or final thoughts that you would like to share with children and young people right now that you think um, they can really benefit them, including how they can contact you or where they can find you on social media, perhaps? One of the things I would say, and this one I've already mentioned, is to try and develop a really strong sense of self-worth and to develop self-esteem. Something that I see a lot in my work are confidence issues. Really talented young people who are amazing. You know, they're so good in what they do academically and even socially, but yet they have that, I'm just not good enough, you know, because again of this comparison culture. So really focus on developing that sense of self-worth. You know, um, it's not just hearing it from other people that you are amazing, it's actually believing that and feeling it inside and, and allowing yourself to, to feel that. That's something I would say. That's brilliant. But yes, I can be reached. I have, would you like me to give the yeah. address or? Okay. So I have www.alpebble.com. Um, That's where I do my therapy work. Okay. Um, if you could just yeah, spell it, cause I didn't really quite catch it. So it's www.alpebble.com. Okay. Alpebble.com. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. And that's where we can get all the information about your work and yes, your books, your beautiful books. And yes. Yeah, and sure. <laughs> definitely, definitely. We'll check it out. I do strongly encourage everyone to check it out. Um, and don't feel really shy or um, suffer in silence. If you do need help, then definitely yeah, do reach out. Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. That is it's it's what you need at the end of the day. If you yeah. need the support, then you need it. And there's no two ways about mm-hmm. it. Yes. Yeah. Um Thank you very much, Samia, for that wonderful. Thank you. I, I know it's been a while, um, but and it's been a struggle to get here, isn't it? But we yeah. did it in the end. We did it. You in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the sea. By the sea. <laughs> and by the sea. Um, but that, I think that just shows that keep working hard. Hard work can really get you there. Hard work has got us here to this episode. And uh, it can get you to great heights, inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah. Inshallah. All Thank right. you so much. It's been lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much for staying tuned. And we hope you enjoyed this episode.
Before you leave, we want to ask you for a huge favor. Please, could you leave us a review? It's really important for us to know how well we are doing. And we also want to know your suggestions on future topics and guests and any other feedback that you may have. So please do let us know in the comment section or you can email us. We have a new email called podcast at inspiritedminds.org.uk. That's podcast at inspiritedminds.org.uk. We're also on Patreon. It's very, very important for you to know that any and all donations that you make go towards the sustainability of all of our projects. So, and as a volunteer-led charity, we really need your donations to keep going. Jazakallah khairun. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.